From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Friday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Colin Donovan, our very own Vice President of Theology, is in the house. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still like to speak with you. That number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, or you can always send us an email open line at ewtn.com. That's open line, all one word at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Charles Beery is your celebrity call screener today. And Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window. And it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Friday, the aforementioned Colin Donovan. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Terrific. Thank you very much. I'd like to break from tradition here because Isaac in Seattle, Washington, has been so gracious as to hold sure. through the break, the, the, the break between shows, uh, we didn't get to him during call to communion, and I'd like to take that call now and uh, bring Isaac on the air. Isaac, thank you so much for holding. You are on with Colin Donovan. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, well, you're welcome. I got a, yeah, I got a question about um, about preaching to our culture because mm-hmm. there seems to be a, a difference um, between what the apostle, who the apostles were preaching to, uh, the first apostles were preaching to people who already believed in some sort of spiritual reality, um, whereas now we're dealing mm-hmm. with something like nihilism. No one believes in anything beyond the three dimensions. Um, and so I'm just wondering, how do, we, how do we go about that? How do we preach to a nihilistic culture? Yeah, and I think this is a, you know, one of the reasons that uh, Pope Benedict, uh, both from his experience in Germany uh, before he came to Rome and then his time in Rome and as Pope, he recognized that this is the great challenge, and he founded a congregation for new evangelization in order to carry that forward. Because you're quite right, in the, in the olden days, uh, the pagans had some idea of a spiritual thing, uh, of a spiritual order, whether they believed in some kind of a, uh, you know, a hierarchy of gods or, or a pantheon of gods, or even if in the... You know, what we would call the third world today is a belief in animism and so on, but there's a spiritual belief that, that there is something as spirit beyond man and not just the empirical world that we can measure, as you mentioned. That makes it difficult. And so I think you have to start with reason with them. Uh, after all, without benefit of divine revelation, uh, Aristotle came to the conclusion that there was a first cause— now, this was a very philosophical understanding. In other words, it means that the knowledge of causation is understood by reason. 
as believers, we have the knowledge of causation as understood by faith, by revelation. We believe in a God. We believe that the God is a trinity. We believe the second person became man, that he founded a church, and so on and so on all that flows from that divine revelation. But without any of that, or even the Jewish knowledge of God, Aristotle came to the conclusion that when you add up all the causes in the, in the universe, there had to be something that caused them, that something doesn't come from nothing. And so I think when you start with reason and argue whether it's on the issue of the existence of God, or whether it's on the spiritual nature of man, is there not some ineffable quality about man that exceeds what empirical evidence would suggest? We know very well that certain of the cetaceans of the whale family, they have larger and as developed brains as we do. Uh, we know that of the, of the primates as well, of the terrestrial primates. But yet they've never made this leap, although you see elements of it there, they've never made the leap to what we would call civilization and then higher technology. And we do it, of course, by, you know, progressively over a long period of time, but they don't seem to do it at all. They have a, they have a sort of a social structure that's akin to uh, a family life, but it, yet it's, it doesn't compare with that either. So I think you can find natural analogs to divine truths. And then when you get into the moral order and all of the things that are going wrong in our society today, the fact that as monogamy is upheld, not upheld because of this sense that we are autonomous in every single respect, only to be governed by natural facts or by facts we subjectively understand. And I would even say that we are losing uh, losing a dependence on the natural facts even. We've gone beyond nihilism to a perfect egotism, a per where everything is a subjective determination of reality. And so that has to be fought on a similar level. To get somebody to jump to belief in God, belief in Christ, belief in the gospel, belief in the church, that's a long way down the road. But start simply with belief in God. And you can go from there in the moral order, as I just noted, or you can uh, prepare yourself, perhaps, by reading a little bit about causation as Aristotle wrote it. And we have to remember that from Greek philosophy and, from Greek philosophy and Hebrew religion, we have developed Western, Western civilization as we know it. And those roots are still there. And the further we get away from those roots of reason and revelation, the more we become nihilistic, as you said, and the more we become very egotistical in that everything surrounds us, everything depends upon us, and everything must serve us. And that's definitely the way things are going. So I would look in that simple philosophy of God, if you will, what's called theodicy. How do we demonstrate God from reason, at least the probability that he exists? And then on the moral level, you can do the same thing with natural law arguments. Um, and you could even then go beyond that to what's been called Pascal's wager. You know, is it better to go through life as if God doesn't exist and to find out at the end he did, he does, or simply to, to follow the Christian way and to, to seek the truth, to seek the good, uh, to be open to the existence of God, because in the end, if this world is 
not everything there is, what's going to happen to you? So Pascal suggested the better course was to be a believer and to be a good person. And on the basis of that, you have wagered well regarding your future, what happens if there's more than this existence. You know, Colin, you don't have to look far, obviously, to find, uh, you know, uh, tragedy in our culture, uh, especially here in America uh, of late. And I think one of the reasons, a couple things that I think should be noted here is, is, is one, this sort of thing has plagued mankind from its existence uh, since the fall of our first parents. And I think the greater degree to which we acknowledge that concupiscence that we all share mm-hmm. is what leads to the periods of great enlightenment. And when we fail to address uh, that concupiscence in our potential solutions, that's when we get further and further away and start finding ourselves in places like we do now, huh? Right, and I think these are good reasoned arguments for the Church, because if you look at the order of justice, the, the law as we understand it in Western world, you look at the importance of the person and the dignity of the person as we understand—all of those have roots in, in faith, in religion, in Judaism and Christianity— and you can't deny that all that we have today is sourced in that history. And there's a good reason why it is, because it's simply true. And I think those are good arguments and a basis of an argument with a person who's not yet prepared to hear the gospel per se, but perhaps the gospel as reason might present it, not using terms like Jesus and God and the church, but seeing where the person can be led and then doing that. Straight ahead, we're going to talk to Louisa in St. Cloud, Florida, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls. The number to be on the program is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-271. 2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you are outside of the United States and Canada at 1 205 271 2985. A couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833 288 EWTN. It's EWTN's Open Line Friday with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. That's right, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. And this is the beauty, ladies and gentlemen, of live radio, because our producer extraordinaire, Mr. Michael McCall, 
has given me something to read that doesn't exist. So we will work on that, and perhaps you'll hear it later, and perhaps you won't. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. As advertised, we're going to Louisa now in St. Cloud, Florida, listening to EWTN at the uh, EWTN app. Louisa, you are on with Colin Donovan. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. What can we do for you? Have, yeah, I have just one question. Um, with all the suffering that we have around us, so much suffering in the world, um, a lot of the times I find myself offering up my suffering, um, but also other people's suffering. Um, for example, you know, with what we are just seeing, you know, those people are suffering with, with the shooting and mm-hmm. all of that. So I maybe they're not thinking of offering it up, so I, in my prayers, do so. Um, so I'm just wondering, is that something sure. that we're able to do? Is that is that suffering accepted, even though it's not maybe offered by the victims or by the those who are uh, in the midst of the suffering? In a strict sense, no, because it's their intention to offer that up and to unite their current suffering, uh, the loss of life that they experienced and so on. And that poor gentleman who had the heart attack, imagine that family uh both parents suddenly gone in the course of a few days. So we certainly pray for them, and I hope our audience is is doing that. Uh, And that causes us anguish. Now, that anguish we can offer up. The fact that in our world today, as we've talked about a good deal on the program today, there are a lot of people with crazy ideas, and some of them lead to forcing others to suffer and to violence and so on. And so... That causes us anguish. This is what Jesus in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, uh, and this would be a good image to meditate on, actually, is that he had no reason to reproach himself, but is traditionally thought that he saw in that time all the sins and all the suffering that would be experienced by everyone from the beginning to the end of history. Uh, All of that which was caused by sin, and most suffering is indeed caused by sin, as in the Texas case, and that he united himself to that and accepted that. And, of course, he asked the Father if this cup might pass, but yet he took it. And so in that way, we can offer up our suffering for the world. Um, It's to be meritorious for others, though, it must be their suffering offered up. But there is a way, I think, to unite to the suffering of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, to meditate upon that, perhaps with the Sorrowful Mysteries today, Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary, and to sort of gather that up and, and offer it back to God as an appeal for gr- gr- the grace of consolation for the families, for the school, for the town, and the people of Texas and of our country generally, and all of those who suffer as victims of violence, to do that, and then to also, uh, for the sake of peace in the world generally, because we have war going on in Ukraine, we have the potential wars that exist pretty much all over the globe for one reason or another, and so there is a lot to offer up, and we can unite that to Jesus. And this is the kind of reparation that Our Lady asked for at Fatima, reparation for the sins of the world, because suffering doesn't cause itself. It's caused by persons, by persons who do things to other persons or to themselves. 
And so that is what we're offering it up for, for their conversion and for the consolation of victims in, in such cases. Does that help, Louisa? Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for answering my question. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Be sure to join us for Sunday Vespers, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And that can be heard on EWTN Radio Essentials, which is available on the EWTN app and also at EWTNRadio.net. You can join the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word as they celebrate Vespers and Benediction of the Blessed Sacrament from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel right here in Irondale, Alabama. Next up is Bridget, a first-time caller in Windsor, Colorado, listening on the Catholic Radio Network. Bridget, welcome to the program. You're on with Colin Donovan. Thank you. Go ahead with your question. Oh, um, my question is, I've been truly so saddened and upset about the children and the two teachers who died in Uvalde, mm-hmm. and I, my question is, if the little kids weren't baptized, because um, they died so innocently, um, do they end up in limbo, or can they, can they go straight to heaven? I'm hoping they can mm-hmm. be baptized some other way, be- well, this is a this is a matter that's unknown. Uh, the Church can only teach and affirm as certainly true that which it knows to be true through divine revelation. Divine revelation makes clear, as Jesus did in the as indicated in the Gospel of John, that you know unless you are born again by water and the Holy Spirit, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Church has made some. Uh, accommodations or that, or hermeneutic, an interpretation of it, that that is called, that is a, that is a, a cause of salvation, which is an instrument. And God is the ultimate instrument. The sufferings and death of Christ are the ultimate instrument. The church is obliged to that which was given us by Christ, the sacraments, baptism, beginning with baptism. And we can't know outside of that whom God might be saved might might save. So the church says that normally there are three ways of being saved through baptism, through the desire for baptism. So if you're a catechumen who doesn't make it to baptism, but you had desired it, and also through blood, that if you die in hatred of the faith by martyrdom, uh, then you, uh, that is baptism by blood. And so this case in Texas is uh, doesn't fit in any of those categories. There will certainly be baptized individuals among the dead. I'm sure it seemed to be the uh, uh, quite a number of Catholics. That is a Catholic part of Texas uh, in the valley and then in the area south of uh, the interstate between Corpus Christi and uh, San Antonio. That's sort of the Catholic uh, half, half of the state. So there likely were many baptized individuals there. Uh, There may have been people wanting to be baptized. We don't know that. But just being killed in an awful way is not a, uh, is not a, um, you know, a guarantee of salvation. And with children who are unbaptized, the church, when it speaks of it, it used to speak of limbo. 
Uh, limbo was a theological conclusion of the scholastic theologians in the Middle Ages, such as Thomas Aquinas and others, that if you can't go to hell if you're undeserving of it, that God doesn't send those who have not personally committed mortal sin to hell, but you can't go to heaven unless you're baptized, is there a place for the unbaptized children who are still innocent to go? And they posited a place of natural happiness, which they call, called, called, called limbo, uh, based on a, an analogy to what the fathers of the church spoke of when they when we, we say in the creed that he descended into hell, he went, really went into the limbo of the patriarchs, of the just of the old law, who could not yet get into heaven because the doors of heaven, heaven hadn't been opened until Christ opened them, as it were. And so, but they had to be in a place of happiness. The bosom of Abraham we hear of in, in Jesus' parable regarding the rich man and the, and the poor man at his door. So those kinds of references were places of you know, middle ground, limbos. They weren't in their final destination. This is where the church has said traditionally, theologically, that the, the, children, that the unbaptized innocents go. Now, the tendency has certainly been, I think, in the last number of decades, to simply commend them to the Lord, as Pope John Paul II did, because we don't actually know what God's disposition for them will be. And we can certainly hope and we could postulate that the innocent unbaptized would be capable of heaven. Children, certainly. Uh, but we can't know that for a fact. So we pray for them, and we should always pray for the dead uh, on the basis of not knowing what their fate is, not assuming they're with God in heaven, not assuming they're in hell by any certainty, and not assuming they're in any intermediate state such as a limbo uh, or, 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 or even purgatory is where they would be if they would be just but not yet ready for heaven. So with certainty, we don't know the answer to your question, but that should not keep us from praying for the dead regardless and hoping that in God's mercy that there is a place for them, a place of happiness, whether it's the natural happiness that the theologians postulated in the past or whether it's some other divine disposition that God may have uh, of his own uh, will, of course. How's that, Bridget? How do, help? How, it does. How do, you, how do you answer people who derisively say to you, well, with your church, um, they, you know, you, they're not going to heaven. So how, how do you answer, you know, someone who is derisive and says, you mean a non-Catholic Christian who says yeah, Catholics don't yeah. go to heaven? I'd say they have so bigger like, problems than not accepting that we're going to heaven. Um, you know, the answer is, I think the answer back to them, okay, how do you, well, what's the basis of your uh, belief that your church is? Uh, ours is historic and goes back to the beginning. Where does your church begin? I wouldn't get that deep. I would just say, where'd you get that idea? <laughs> well, they may they may have gotten it somewhere because that's been a polemic for about four hundred and fifty to five hundred years. Yeah, you can stand firm on the truths of the Catholic faith, uh, Bridget, and just remember uh, you're called to be faithful. Now, what, how's it go, Cowan? Uh, we're called to be faithful, not successful, and uh, something like our, that. Yeah, we're 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 to spread the seed. We're not responsible for reaping the harvest, right? 
Yeah, and that's certainly true. You give what answer you can with uh, charity, truth and charity, and then uh, let God take it from there. God bless you, Bridget. You are a dear soul. We'll keep you in our prayers. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Steve in the great state of California. We've got plenty of time for your phone calls as well. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We've got three great EWTN radio affiliates out in the western United States that are celebrating some anniversaries this weekend. Um, uh, In Southern California, St. John Paul II Catholic Radio celebrates eight years on the air with stations in San Diego, El Centro, and Brawley. Also, KOFR in Lander, Wyoming, marks seven years with EWTN. Congratulations, and we encourage you always to support those local radio affiliates in the EWTN radio family. Back to the phones we go. Steve is in Napomo, California, listening, uh, watching us on YouTube, actually. Steve, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, just... My wife uh, is a Catholic. I'm a non-Catholic, uh, running towards hopefully the Catholic Church. And she bought me a book. It's the Cardinal Mueller Report. Mm-hmm. Mueller Report. Are you aware of that book? And is it a good book? Of course, I watch you guys a lot and trust your sure. advice. So, so I'd appreciate your any opinion you have on the book, if any. Yeah, I, I mean, Cardinal Mueller is a, a well-known person. He was uh, an individual that was appointed to head the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith by Pope Benedict. Um, He continued on for some years under Pope Francis, and then uh, I think he reached the mandatory age for cardinals retiring, and uh, he did. I think he's uh, 80-ish now. So he has a good deal of insight. He certainly knows his theology. Uh, I imagine that his perspective on uh, on the Church... um, you know, with all the allowances for the personal opinions and views of individuals would probably be quite solid. Uh, I just pulled up uh, uh, the index page. I've not actually read his book, uh, Interview on the State of the Church. Um, it looks like he taught, it's largely about hope, hope for Christ, uh, from Christ for the church, for the family, and for society. So it looks like he has a very broad-ranging uh, look at it. So I think it would be uh, worth your worth your read. Always remember, too, uh, as a non-Catholic looking from the outside in, that for the Catholic, the thing that is important is the is the faith, uh, and the faith obliges us to believe that which we know to be certainly revealed. Uh, those things are in the doctrinal decisions of the popes and councils down through time. Beyond that, there's a lot of room for opinion uh, about the meaning of this, that, and the other thing. So, you know, to some extent, shows like this one and other ones like this were giving, you know, opinion based on the doctrine or, or explanations, theological explanations based on it, and the Cardinal would be doing that as well. 
It's also based on hope, which it seems to be what the book is about, and hope is the confidence in God, and we get our confidence in God from the faith, because the faith tells us that Christ promised his church, and that on the basis of those promises, it shall exist until the end of time, as he constituted it, and it will be there when he returns uh, to take uh, all the all the just to heaven for the general resurrection and so on. So, faith and hope, and finally, charity— uh, charity means to the church a communion among all believers, uh, love of God, obviously, and love of neighbor, uh, and that is to desire the salvation of all, uh, to effect that as we are able, uh, seeing from our point of view as Catholics that Christ wills that all mankind be Catholic, that they have access to the sacraments which he left the church, and that they be in the bond of communion with him and with each other. Uh, So faith, hope, and charity is key. And within that, you can do a lot of reading and get a lot of good opinions, but always it runs back to those three theological virtues as being the most important thing, not just for Catholics, but hopefully with all all Christians, uh, even non-Catholic Christians. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America, and we've got some open lines for you right now at 833-288-3986. That's the number Donita used, a first-time caller in North Platte, Nebraska. Donita, you're on with Colin Donovan. I just have a question. Okay. (laughs) I want to know if it's... We have a, a, a Protestant gentleman had baptized another person. He receives communion from a Catholic Eucharist minister. I want to know if it's valid, if this, non, this Protestant person baptizes him in the swimming pool, if it's valid. Okay, did you see it take place, or do you know how it take place? Because that's key. I, I know it took place because I was. he told me it took place. Okay, well, by how it means... Baptism for, oh, in the... Yeah, baptism with water. Swimming pool is water, presumably. may have some chlorine in it and other things. But it's water. Baptism by water in the Holy Spirit means that the individual is baptized so that water flows over their skin. And it's usually done three times. And each time the words of the form of baptism, which is given in the Gospel of I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If that was done, and the person had the intention to do what Christ intended and what the Catholic Church intends through baptism, then the individual is baptized. Assuming the individual wasn't already baptized. Which, well, if he was receiving communion in the Catholic Church, he may very well I was have getting, been baptized. Well, I'm getting to that. Why would he be resu- receiving communion in the Catholic Church? Your question is germane to that, because if he was all, he didn't need baptism. In other words, the swimming pool did nothing for him except maybe wash a little dirt off. Spiritually, it did nothing if he was already a baptized Catholic. If he wasn't baptized in the Catholic Church and under Catholic Church sponsorship, in other words, by a minister of the Catholic Church, priest or somebody delegated by a priest to do it, or in an emergency situation because the person was dying, then he had to go to the church. He couldn't, and to report that, he couldn't simply receive communion. So it sounds like there were two potential irregularities in there. A baptism either not needed or done validly 
but then didn't give the uh, basis for receiving communion in the Catholic Church. Or somebody baptized validly who wasn't a Catholic who then took it upon themselves to receive communion inappropriately in a Catholic Church. So a lot of questions there. Does that help at all, Danita? It just kind of bothered me. It's like, I'm sorry? Oh, no, go ahead. Go right ahead. I was just telling you, I'm Catholic myself, and it just kind of bothered me, and I didn't know how to—I didn't want to come right out and say, why did you do that? You know, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) I was just curious, and, you know— Well, do you know whether the gentleman was a Catholic? Well, what— He used—the gentleman that that baptized him used to be Catholic. And the person who was, quote, baptized then received communion in the Catholic Church? Yes. Well— it it sounds irregular under in some way, but it's hard to say from the facts that uh, that you're aware right. of. Right. So. Right. Yeah. It raises your eyebrow too, huh, Colin? Uh, both of them, actually. <laughs> God bless you, Danita. We appreciate the phone call. That frees up a line for you at eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Next up is Ian, a first time caller in Rockland, Maine, listening on Sirius XM channel one thirty. Ian, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you very much. I'm up here in Rockland, Maine, up on staging paint my house. So, okay. <laughs> well, don't fall off. Better you than me, brother. <laughs> but I'm steady up here. Yeah, we're restoring this old house. So uh, let me let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So I um, we go to Mass every weekend, and uh, we re- recite the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. I bring my girls with me, and uh, my wife, we divide and conquer. She goes to the 8 o'clock. I go to the 11 with one of the girls, so uh, we can kind of have some peace. So uh, my question is, um, for us men in our salvation, where does that leave women exactly? It hasn't been asked of me, but I'm sure it's yeah. Well, the only we the only reason you're asking the question is you be you belong you're living in a culture as we all are that is running as fast as they can from the idea of the unity of male and female in man, Adam. That some we are all united. And the analogy is to the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they have three divine persons, but they are united in nature. The book of Genesis, setting aside any questions about what it's telling us about, you know, in a historical sense, which there's historical truth there, obviously, is telling us of the unity of the nature of the creature man as opposed to the creature dog or cat. Because woman is not a species. Man understood as a male is not a species. The species is the human species, of which man is the long-standing version in English, certainly in philosophy. So in philosophy, for about 2,300 years, they've been talking about the, the uh, if you wish to describe man philosophically, metaphysically, Man is a rational animal. It means men are rational animals and women are rational animals, but both of them belong to man, the human species. That's the meaning there. As man fell, so in Christ is man redeemed. 
And this is the implications of that text. And it's only because of the, the, the first wave feminists, the prejudices of the 70s against men and the use of man in which all kinds of idiocies have resulted, the substitution of in women uh, with an X or a Y, you know, women with a Y or women with an XN or other variations of this to show your disgust with being compared with, you know, guys or whatever it is. So there's this whole prejudice been created since the 70s that we can't say things like man, that we can't say that God became man, for example, and the word became flesh and dwelt among. We have normally said God became man. In other words, he became the creature man, this not man, although he became a male, but man in that broader sense. So Unfortunately, as English is always an evolving language, and most languages are except Latin, uh, which is why the church has all its formal documents in Latin, is you know what they mean 150, 200 years from now. Uh, English has evolved, but the church has stuck with the philosophical term and the theological terms because it teaches us something. It teaches us, first of all, that this other gender-neutral nonsense is just that, nonsense, and it teaches us the truths of the faith, which is what it's there to teach. It's not to teach us our culture. We're immersed in our culture. We know how our culture thinks. But to teach us the truth of the faith, that God became man for our salvation. So for us men, us human beings, and our salvation. And to avoid being implicated in the nonsense, the church has chosen not to allow gender neutral or gender-inclusive languages there where the traditional word is satisfactory. Another case, Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 1 talks about um, uh, uh, keeping the law, and it says man. But no, they had to be changed it to mortal. And so all of these kinds of cases, the church has refused to embark down that path, and this is certainly one and in the last revision of the text, uh, efforts to make it uh, inclusive, if you will, were rejected. Not because it's only for men, but it's for all human beings, man philosophically. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Be sure to check out Catholic Answers Live tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, two full hours of open, line Q, or open forum Q&A with Carlo Broussard. That's Catholic Answers tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Kelly, a first-time caller in Spokane, Washington, listening on the EWTN app. Welcome to the program, Kelly. You're on with Colin. Thank you. Um, I just had a question. Since this shooting that happened a couple of days mm -hmm. ago, I have been saying my rosary, of course, for all of those children and adults killed, all the victims and their families and everybody concerned. But I have also, in my rosary, included the boy, the shooter himself, mm -hmm. because I, I feel like he had to be in the grip of a, a terrible evil to perpetrate such an act on children or anybody. Um, or his grandmother, wonder, for that I, matter. I, exactly. Mm -hmm. Anybody. Um, I'm, I'm questioning myself. I'm uh, conflicted of whether I'm doing right or wrong by that. Yeah. 
I, I don't know whether it'll do any good, but that's the point in why we, we pray for the dead. Uh, we don't know that they do any good. Uh, generally, it probably would be the case. I don't know if this would come up, but if he was a Catholic, sometimes a, a funeral mass will be refused in such cases because uh, a notorious case of evil uh, certainly causes scandal. But I think as a private individual, to pray for the individual not knowing, uh, we, you know, I think setting aside the politicians and all of the fact that with most politicians of all the parties, there's a lot of self-interest in anything they do publicly. If you set all of that aside, there seems to be a lot of history here in this kid that you know, we know the effect of upbringing, we know the effect of family life, we know the effect of all of these things on this, the psyche of children and, and youth as they grow up. So we don't know what his psychological state does, but one, one being does. God knows. So we commend him to God, to his mercy, if that is what is possible, and that will be determined by his state of conscience and mind and the uh, invincible ignorance or force of whatever might have been going on morally in his soul, uh, or to his justice if he did this as a purely evil act and deserves the justice of that, of punishment, the full force of that. So we leave that to God, and we safely do that without judging the case ourselves. So I don't think you are doing anything right, wrong, rather. Uh, and But I think in public, the church would generally take another stance, and so notorious individuals would not be buried from the church. Um, that has been done in some cases, but uh, it generally isn't done, and, and that's rightly done for the scandal it will cause. But um, uh, you can certainly pray for him. God bless you, Kelly. We appreciate that. And Colin, I think it's fair to say that uh, on an individual level, no well-intentioned prayer ever goes wasted, right? Right. Maybe there's some boy out there who's on the verge of this that that prayer can help turn him from a course of action that he's contemplating. So, yes, no prayer is wasted. Uh, next up is Charles, a, another first-time caller in Phoenix, Arizona, listening also on Sirius XM Channel 130. Charles, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hey, great. You guys have a great show. Thank you. Always stimulate my mind. I'm going to throw <laughs> you a softball. You ready for a softball? I, I watched last night on uh, Raymond Arroyo's show. He had mm -hmm. the uh, Archbishop of San Francisco. Yeah. And he's been in communication with this certain political figure, and it got to the point where he's renounced this person taking communion. Mm -hmm. But the person, the rebuttal was, well, I'll go to Washington, D.C., because I don't care what you say, and I'll take it from that bishop. So yeah, uh, you have the rules and regulations, but... If, if that priest isn't good for me, do I find my own particular priest that lets me bend mm. all the rules? How does that work? Because it looks yeah. terrible with abortion to the public. Like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, and I think there is um, there is a canonical debate, which is over my head, but I can give you a little bit of the outlines on that. Um, this was her own proper bishop. There have been cases where bishops have told to politicians coming in from outside their diocese, I remember a presidential candidate back in uh, uh, 2000, it was, I believe, was told not to come into a particular diocese. He wouldn't be allowed to receive communion because of his support for abortion, a Catholic candidate, obviously. 
Uh, but this is this is this individual's. Um, I will say her. This is her uh, her own archbishop, and he has set a standard uh, of refusing until she puts aside the scandal of her. 23rd, I don't know, I'm probably, I've not looked into the record, but I, like I think a lot of the pro-abortion Catholic politicians, and I'm not going to say pro-choice because it's pro-abortion, Catholic politicians going back to the 70s, and she's been in the business since then, uh, they, they've, they've made a choice, and they've argued in their own minds probably how they're on the right and the church is wrong, or at least ought to tolerate this, as a secular society, whatever their arguments are, uh, they've had lots of opportunity to repent. And so Archbishop Cordelione made the decision to take this step. The canonical issue, I think, is whether or not this has weight outside of his diocese. If he had excommunicated her, that would have been clear and evident, and I think all of, that would have to be universally respected. But he didn't go that far. He admonished her and told her she shouldn't receive communion, and he had instructed the ministers of communion in his own diocese not to give that to her. I think in the coming weeks we will probably hear more from canonists and maybe even from church authorities on what the actual implications of this are. A common view certainly seems to be that that has no weight of authority outside of his diocese because on this particular pastoral matter. Every bishop is autonomous before the Pope. It's not a corporation, no archbishop, and this is, of course, a cardinal we're talking about in D.C., that you can't decide these issues for the sake of another. They can only concur in those. So we'll see what the canonical implications for this particular kind of uh, admonition is. I believe if it was excommunication, it would have universal effect, because otherwise what would be the point of having an excommunication or an interdict, uh, as the case may be? So uh, I think that will develop. There is usually a lot of pastoral and canonical history behind whatever falls out of this kind of a situation. These are never usually off-the-wall kinds of decisions and judgments by bishops and archbishops and so on. Well, and he was very careful to point out that this was a decade-long dialogue. No, I'm talking about the general matter, not that particular case. That uh, whatever, whatever canonical pattern is obliged in this case, it will not be ad hoc. It will be because there is a canonical tradition of acting and behaving in a particular way. In this, the church is very regular. Pastorally, dealing with the care of souls, that's a d- different matter. So somebody comes up to communion, generally it's very difficult to refuse communion to them unless there is uh, a stated you know, excommunication or statement of manifest sin. Uh, and in this case, that statement is for the Archdiocese of San Francisco and its application elsewhere. Uh, I think we have to wait and see how that falls out. Quickly, we'll head to Chris in Hummelstown, Pennsylvania, listening on the EWTN app. Chris, just a couple minutes left with Colin. What's your question today? Um, over the years, you hear people using inappropriate language, profanity. I grew up in a house my parents never cursed, used God's mm-hmm. name in vain. 
Uh, you heard it in the public high school, and you heard it in the workplace, and it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And there are words that are used for sexual intercourse, urination, anatomical part. Oh, understood, yes. I was in the Navy, so I clearly understand this phenomena. Uh, it's a difficult thing to admonish people there, uh, you know, in uh, working situations. Um, I would say spiritual writers often say you can, you can sometimes show it with a frown or a furled forehead uh, if you think that it will be taken well. Um, you might say something, you know, if it's the name of the Lord, I, I wish you wouldn't uh, use the name of the Lord in my presence in this way. Uh, and if they care anything for you, then ho- oh, at least they won't do it in your presence. But whether it has any general effect, it might it might wake them up to the uh, the degree in which they use profanity, for example. Or you take them aside and you have that conversation. You know, you use an awful lot of profanity. I don't know that you understand what this does for your reputation and your, your work reputation and your ability to influence other people. Because that's certainly a fact. I mean, that's just a psychological fact is that this does not get you anywhere substantial in the world, uh, in, in life, employment life or other, other circumstances, family life. So, but that ought to be a private admonition. I think you can show your displeasure in other ways and maybe with a simple word, um, I know somebody who at every every time somebody swore, they said something like "My Jesus, mercy." Eventually, the other person got the idea they didn't like to have the Lord's name taken in vain. So, um, do what you think will be effective. You're not obliged to do what you know will be ineffective. Is my point. You know, it's it's funny, Colin, when I used to coach kids when my kids were growing up, and I would, especially in football, and I would coach kids, and I would address the kids within earshot oftentimes of the parents, mm-hmm. and I would often make the point that that kind of language is just lazy. It's just, a, it's just the way that somebody who doesn't have uh, either the capacity or the uh, wherewithal to formulate a good argument, and yeah. that's, that's how they react to it. Yeah, and that's definitely true. And you can you can be very direct in plain English without using uh, such kind of language. Yeah. On behalf of our host, Mr. Colin Donovan, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Charles Beery, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it on Monday with a mailbag edition of Open Line Monday. Until we get together then, God bless. We'll be right back.